Father, this is our confession. Greater love has no man than this. That he would lay down his life for his friends. And such have you done for us, Lord. Lord, we praise you this morning because you alone have loved us like that. Not just in word, but in deed, you sent your son to demonstrate your love for us. Dying at the cross, redeeming us by his blood, purchasing us. And giving to us all the riches of glory, none of which we Deserved in the slightest. And in light of those things this morning, we say with our whole hearts, thank you, Jesus. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we'll be this morning. If you have your copy of God's Word and would like to turn there, I'll try to get myself together here for a minute. Title of today's message is The Church's Testimony. And I hope today that as we walk through this passage of Scripture that you will find yourself in the story. And if you're unable to find yourself in the story yet this morning, I hope that you will see the love of a God who is calling you in to his story. As we come to Ephesians 2 this morning, this is probably the one passage in the whole book of Ephesians, if you, if you know any passages in Ephesians, you probably know this one. For it's by grace we've been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. You, if you've been in church for very long, hopefully, hopefully you've heard those words to the point where for many of us they become very, very familiar. And you know what the danger with familiarity is. Sometimes familiarity breeds contempt, but all more often familiarity breeds apathy. I hear something so many times that it becomes old school. I, I, I hear something so many times that I begin to take it for granted. And, and we come to a passage like this and we go, yeah, I, I've heard those verses before. I, I'm good to go. Please, please don't take that mentality this morning. We need to come to these type of scriptures, the ones that we are so familiar with, and realize that the reason that we're likely so familiar with them is because they're so important. 
They're the basis for our faith, and we need to come back time and time again. There's, there's like this mentality uh, in our Christianity sometimes where we feel like, well, y- yeah, we know Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 because that was the source of our salvation, grace, and faith, and all. Yeah, we, we, we know that part. And then we think, well, now it's time for me to move on to the greater things. You know, we, I've done Christianity 101. Now it's time to go to 201, 301, 4, and go on to the greater things. And I, I can just hear the Apostle Paul beckoning us this morning and saying, no, come back. Come back to the basics of your faith. Come back to a grace that saves you, a faith that brings you to the place where God can totally captivate your life. Come back to this place. Don't think that you need to go on to greater mountaintop peaks, but go on and keep coming back time and time and time again to these foundational truths. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word this morning as we read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And as we read this, could you hear these words being spoken to you? Verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace... You have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's be seated. Father, as we're seated together, I pray simply for us this morning that you would help us to find our place in your story. To see clearly this morning what we were and what we are apart from Jesus Christ. To be reminded this morning or perhaps for the first time to have this morning that but God moment and to see all the riches of your glory on display for us our inheritance by grace through faith not of our works all because you worked on our behalf help us to see this gospel Lord we pray in Jesus name Your outline this morning follows these verses. Three simple phrases that come straight out of these scriptures. 
who we were, what God has done for us, and then who we are as a result. We start this morning with who we were. Paul says, you were, and these next three verses are some, if you just take it out of context, some of the most depressing and defeating verses in all of Scripture. In fact, if we were to stop at verse 3 and not go any farther, we would all leave here today down in the dumps if we've been listening because these verses will take you to that place if you don't go any further. The first thing that Paul says is, you are dead in sin. From the very beginning, he starts this chapter, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead in sin. You notice Paul doesn't say here, you were sick in sin. He doesn't say here, you were floundering in sin. He doesn't say, you were in a whole heap of trouble when you were in your sin. He says, you were dead in sin. I went back to look up that word in the original Greek language in which Paul wrote, thinking, well, you know, maybe that word could have been translated a little bit differently uh, in other translations. Every translation I looked at pretty much used that term, but I thought, well, maybe, maybe there's something else, a little different nuance there that we need to get. The Greek word is the word nekros, and guess what? It only means dead. That's the only way you can translate that word. There's no, there's no nuances, no gray area. It's the word from which we get words like necrophobia, which is the fear of dead things. Necros means dead. And I was reminded this week of something that happened in my life about 10 years ago. I was, I was sitting in a class at Southern Seminary, and, and one of our teachers was teaching on this passage of Scripture, and he asked a question that has stuck with me over the years. When he first asked it, I don't know how much I really understood what he was asking, but over the years I've come back to this thought many times. He referenced Ephesians 2, 1, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, and he asked this question. What can a dead man do? Perhaps this morning you're like I was at that time. You're going, oh, well, I, I don't know. But you think about that for a moment. What can a dead man do? And if you come up with anything but nothing, you've fallen short. Paul's point here is that apart from Christ, we were dead in our sins. There was nothing that we could do to merit our salvation, to take any part in it. In fact, he goes on to say things that would lead us to the point where we understand we didn't even want any part in it. We were so dead that there was no hope for us whatsoever. But you see, in American Christianity today, we have some pictures in our minds, our cultural understanding of this gospel leads us to some places that I think are very dangerous. And I want to show you a picture this morning. And it reminds me of last week, our, our family was, was at the ocean down in Destin, Florida. Thank you for those that prayed for us. We did have a wonderful week. Um, uh, J.D. was not a fan of the beach. Uh, that's to put it mildly. Um, somebody asked me, well, what did he not like about it? Well, he didn't like the sand. He didn't like the water. 
and he didn't like the heat. So you take your pick. Pretty much he didn't like any part of that experience. We lasted, he and I, about 18 minutes the first day, and we didn't go back except for a few night walks where uh, we made him, <laughs> made him struggle through. But those of you that have been to the ocean, you can, you can remember looking out and seeing the vastness uh, of that ocean, and it's a beautiful thing. But, but throughout Scripture, the ocean is often used as an analogy for sin. You see it throughout the Scriptures. The ocean is used time and time again. Bob talks about uh, our sins being buried in the depths of the ocean. And for the Jewish uh, folks in, in Paul's day, they would have thought about the ocean as a place of, of darkness. They didn't see it as a place of beauty. They saw it as a place of dangerous darkness. And they equated that with their, their sinful condition. Keeping those things in mind, I want to show you a picture. And I think this picture characterizes how many of us have have thought about our salvation experience that day when when God stepped in and took hold of our lives and saved us by his grace in Jesus Christ and for many of us we we thought that it looked something like this I call it the life ring salvation that we were uh, on this ship, and perhaps you can think of the movie Titanic, and when Jack and Rose you know, went down and they're hanging on to this piece of wood trying to survive. You remember that? It was an awful movie. Please don't watch it if you've never seen it. But you get to the end, and there's like, it takes them like 30 minutes to sink the stupid ship, and that's all anybody wants to see. But you get to that point, and they're clinging to this door or whatever they're hanging on to trying to survive, and... and and you remember the, the dramatic moment, Rose blows the whistle and she's saved after Jack has like fallen to the bottom of the ocean, his you know, crispy body there is down there. Anyway, all that. You remember that scene, hopefully. If you've not, don't bother renting it. It's not worth your time. But we have this idea, like we're, our salvation experience was we were, we were on this sinking ship We're now floundering in the ocean and God comes along in his rescue vessel and he throws us the life ring of salvation in Jesus Christ. He throws us the life ring and then we had just enough faith to be able to cling to that life ring and then we did a little bit of kicking and paddling to get ourselves, uh, with his help, into the boat of salvation and went on her merry way to live happily ever after and then to get the big giant diamond at the end like she does in the movie. Okay, that's, that's our picture. That's how, that's how we think of our salvation as the life ring. that The Lord threw us the life ring and we grabbed hold and he pulled us in and we kind of, in some ways, even if it was just a small thing, that we somehow took part in what God did in saving our soul. There's only one problem, folks. It's not what the Bible teaches. You will not find life-ring salvation in this book, but what you will find is the Apostle Paul saying, you were dead in your sin. That means you were, Jack, frozen to the bone, dead as dead can be, having drifted to the bottom of the ocean, and God stepped in. So we don't like to think about it that way. We want to ask the question, well, what was my part? Surely I had to do something to be saved. 
Surely, you know, I worked up enough faith in myself. Surely, we even talk about that way. We, we say things like, I decided to follow Jesus. I prayed a prayer of salvation. I got baptized. I've been faithful in church attendance. I read my Bible every day. I pray regularly. I share my faith with others. And we go on and on and on about the works that we do. And it's not the problem with the works in and of themselves. It's that we've got the cart before the horse. That you don't do any of those things in order to be saved. They're not the root of your salvation as if God would look at your church attendance and go, man, you got 50 out of 52 Sundays this year. Good job. Here's your place in heaven. I know I'm being just a little bit sarcastic, but I want you to hear the gospel this morning. That apart from Christ, every one of us is dead in our sins. You were born that way. By nature, you were born into this world, having received what was passed down to you all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. You received that sin in nature. And let me tell you this morning, you did not become a sinner because you sinned. You sinned because by nature you're a sinner. That's a game changer, folks. Some of you may need to go home and think on that one a little bit. But sometimes we've bought into this false gospel that we only are sinners because we sinned. That it was our actions that created our identity. It's not the way it works. It was our identity that caused our actions. We sin because we're sinners by nature. We were born this way. We were dead in that sin. And there was nothing we could do. I want you to picture Jack frozen at the bottom of the ocean. And apart from Christ, that was you. And it was me. Not only that, it gets worse. Not only were you dead in sin, but you were dominated by the world, the flesh, and the devil. These three great enemies that we see throughout Scripture come out right here in these verses. In verses 2 and 3, you see them. He says, you, you are following the course of this world. You are following the prince of the power of the air. That's another way of describing the devil himself. And you are living in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. And you are by nature children of wrath, which we'll come to that idea in just a moment. He's saying, not only were you dead... But you were walking dead. You were walking in the course of this world, which is not the created world. This is the world. This is the world system that is in opposition to God. We see it. If you just turn on your nightly news at night, you'll see the world system at work. And it's increasingly moving us in this country farther and farther away from biblical Christianity. The world system was drawing you away at every point from God but not just the world system. Then the devil, the prince of the power of the air, stepped in, and he too is pulling on your life, drawing you away from the things of God, keeping you blinded, the Bible says, to the things of God. So you couldn't even see the light of the gospel until God opened your eyes. Not only that, it goes even deeper. You know, it wasn't just things that are outside. It wasn't just the world out there and the devil over here. It was your flesh. Your own self was warring against you, keeping you from the things of God. It's as if, to use a basketball terminology, you were being triple teamed, and they were all NBA players. 
and you are without hope of scoring a basket. But we're getting to the good news. Just stay with me. Got to get the bad news first before you can understand the good. You were dead in sin. You were dominated by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And verse 3 tells us you were destined for destruction. That was your path, every one of us. If you have not come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is the Bible's description of you. It's not pleasant, but you need to see it in order to see the greatness of this gospel. He says there in verse 3, And you were by nature, that could be by birth, by essential character, you were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Every man, woman, boy, and girl that has ever walked the face of this planet except for one falls under this description. His name was Jesus Christ. He's the Savior we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about this morning. Because you were children of wrath. You were born in this condition. There was nothing you could do about it because you were dead. And even if you tried to do something about it, you were being triple teamed by these great enemies. There was no hope for you. You were without God and without hope in this world. And you were destined for destruction to spend an eternity separated from the God who loved you enough to create you. And then to seek to redeem you by the blood of his son. Good news, right? We'll get there. Romans 3.23, familiar verse, but it applies here. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then three chapters later, the Apostle Paul says, And the wages, the due result of sin is death. Separation from God. No relationship with Him. But to spend forever separated from Him in a place called hell. So that's the bad news this morning. And near, now here comes the two most beautiful words in all of Scripture. These words will change your life, folks. Two words can do it this morning. And here they are. But God. Some of you in this room have had a but God moment in your life. You came to the place where you realized I can't make this work. My life is a mess. Sin has got me at every turn. The devil is winning every battle. The world is beating me down. My own flesh is warring against me. I can't do anything. You come to that place of utter helplessness where you realized if I don't have God step in and do something, I'm a loss. But God, it's a beautiful moment. There are a lot of people. I encourage you to go home and search those two words together. There's a lot of different. You can go to BibleGateway.com or Bible.org. There's a lot of those things. You can go in and you can search two words together in the, in the Bible. I encourage you to go home and search those two words, but God. You'll find some amazing truths connected with those words. But God stepped in. You were dead in your sin. Dominated by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Destined for destruction. You are on the pathway to death and death eternal. And then God stepped in. And what did he do? Well, first of all, he resurrected us. Verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. 
Believer, you were a dead man walking prior to coming to faith in Jesus Christ. You may not have realized it. And maybe even in this moment, you're still clinging to that, that life ring theology that we talked about a few minutes ago. I encourage you to throw out the life ring and take hold of the hand of Jesus Christ. And let, you, let him show you the power of this great salvation. That it is all because God stepped in and said, now I'm getting ready to do something. See, when that happens, it changes everything. He resurrected us. He gave us life in Christ. Not only that, but he raised us up. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I think this is a part of our faith that has been so lost in American churches today. I was thinking this week of, uh, uh, actually I found this out toward the end of this week, but I was thinking of uh, Barry and Barb Zerker. I'm going to put you all on the spot for a minute. Uh, they've this week bought a house in, in uh, South Carolina, and they're going to be spending half the year uh, in South Carolina and half the year with us. And that saddens me because I love them and I love uh, what they've been able to. They're just such faithful servants here. But I want to use them as an example this morning. It's so much like what it is in the Christian life. Do you realize, believer, that you in all truth have two residences? That yes, right now you, you live in this world. You, you still struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. You still have these battles in this place. But you also, as it says here, you are, not will be, but you are seated with him in heavenly places. That which is most essential about you, that spirit, that soul that God created you with that was dead in sin. When he raised it up, he didn't just raise it up to leave it here. But he raised you up and seated you with Christ in heavenly places. That which is most essential about you is already with him. And while you live in these two residences, there is coming a day when you will give up your residence here. And you will go to be with him in the place he created for you. But there's a reality, folks, in which you're already there. If we would begin to grasp this as believers, it would change the way we live our lives. If we would begin to think that which is most essential about me is not my occupation. That which is most essential about me is not my last name. That which is most essential about me is not the group of people that I hang around with. That which is most essential about me is not whether my team wins the game on Friday night. That which is most essential about me is that I am seated with him in heavenly places. That's what's most essential about us. And that will change how you live in this zip code. I guarantee it. If you begin to see your heavenly home as your current home, it'll change the way you live here. And it just gets better. He resurrected us. He raised us up. And He reveals His grace in us. Verse 7. So that, this is the purpose statement. Paul is saying, why did God do all these things? From the, from the but God down to the so that in verse 7. He's saying, this is the reason why God resurrected you and why God raised you up. Why did he go to all the trouble? God raised us up with him so that. 
In the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now if you're like me, I struggle with a few of those words and knowing exactly how that all fits together. But here's the picture that I want to give you this morning. It's a picture of a trophy. What does a trophy do? A trophy commends the work and effort of the one who won it, right? What I believe this scripture is saying is this. All the redeemed people of God will for all eternity serve as God's trophy. That he will be able for all of eternity to point to your life and say, He was dead in sin. There was no life in her whatsoever. He was dominated by the world, beating him down at every turn. The the flesh was eating him up inside, and the devil had him under his thumb. She was destined for destruction. But God, God raised us up, God resurrected us for the purpose that we might for all of eternity serve as his trophy, showing his great works. See, that's the problem with the life ring analogy. With the life ring analogy, there's a place in that where I can boast. I really can. I can say, man... At least I had enough strength to be able to grab the life ring. And I did a little kicking as it was going towards the boat. I mean, this is how we are as sinful human beings. We'll take any opportunity that we can to boast about something because we, that's what we do. But see, you look into the gospel and you see that when God steps in, it's all of his work. Which one of you can raise the dead? Which one of you can raise someone up to heavenly places to be seated at the throne of heaven with Christ? That's what the book of Revelation teaches us about. Which one of us can make ourselves a trophy for the one true and living God, God Almighty, the creator of all the universe? Which one of us can do that? Nada. None. The Bible says, in fact, none are righteous, not even one. We have all turned away from God. We have all rebelled against God. We, our part in this whole picture is found in that first verse. What did you do? You sinned. That was your part. But God. Here's another but God verse from Romans chapter 5, another familiar verse. So powerful, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to clean up your act. And don't get the picture that 
for the most part, you know, we, we think sometimes that, well, we were pretty much good people with a few flaws, and God kind of comes along like the cosmic janitor just to clean up our little mess so that we can look good to him. That's not at all the picture. The picture is you were a dead, rotten, stinking corpse, and he stepped in and gave you life. It's good news, folks. And when we see that it's all from him, then we don't take any credit, and he gets all the credit. That's the gospel. So what's the result of these things? We've seen what we were. We've seen what God did. And now because of what God did, you are. Verses 8 through 10 tells us who we are in Christ. It's as if Paul goes back to what we looked at the very first week in this series, all the things that we have in Christ, that we are the adopted, blood-bought people of God. And this is the most familiar part, and I want to read it again. We've heard it so many times, but let it not become old for us. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. Did you hear that this morning? This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. And I want to leave you with three things today that come straight out of this passage. First of all, verse 8. You're saved by grace alone. Please don't buy the false gospel of the life ring that it's, yes, it's grace, but mix a little bit of works in here. We even sometimes think about our faith like a work, that I was just smart enough, or I was just wise enough, or I was just good enough that I was able to work up enough faith to trust in Jesus. That's not the picture of faith here. How do I know that? Look at what it says there. You're saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. That word it refers back to everything since the but God of verse 4. Every bit of it. Every bit of what we've talked about from verse 4 all the way down here. It, that, all, the whole thing is the gift of God. You couldn't earn it if you wanted to. First of all, you were dead. What can a dead man do? Let's say, thank you. Let's say that out loud together. What can a dead man do? It's a gift of God. Saved by grace alone. Grace is God's unmerited favor. That means that God chooses to freely give to us what we could never earn or deserve. Saved through faith alone. And again, this faith is the gift of God. It wasn't that one day you just woke up and decided, hey, I'm going to trust in Jesus today. That may have been your subjective experience, but that's not what was happening from heaven's perspective. From heaven's perspective, God had been pursuing you with his love. Because of his great love, he had been coming after you in order that he might demonstrate his love by showing you mercy. And he did that all the way back 2,000 years ago when he gave his one and only son to die on the cross in your place that through Faith in him, which would God would give to those who trust in him. Which God would give that faith to you to trust in your crucified Savior. It was all his work from beginning to end. Saved through faith alone. Trusting in what God has done 
on your behalf. And finally, saved in Christ alone. Folks, hear me for just a second. My greatest grief in preparing this message is that I fear that far too many of us are trusting in something that's not Jesus. Just hear me for a minute. I, I don't intend to intentionally offend anyone, but for years I've listened to Christians' testimonies. And I've given these sorts of testimonies until God began to change my understanding. And, I, and you hear these testimonies of, you ask somebody, well, you know, how did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? And a lot of times the testimony begins with, well, I was baptized, dot, dot, dot. Or, well, I walked the aisle and prayed the prayer with this pastor, dot, dot, dot. Or, well, I decided to ask Jesus into my heart, dot, dot, dot. And it sounds, it sounds almost like biblical Christianity until you begin to read passages like this and you, and you begin to understand that you're not saved by a baptism and you're not saved by a sinner's prayer and you're not saved by your church attendance and you're not saved by just reading the Word of God. You're not saved by any of these things and none of your works, no matter how good they may seem, are going to save you. You're only saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He is the only object of faith that will save you and any time that we begin to mix that together with works of our own selves, we diminish this gospel. And I fear for many of us who trusted in a gospel that will not save because God will not share his glory with you. I need you to hear that today. God will not allow you to take credit for being just strong enough to grab the life free. He deserves it all. He raised you from the dead, whether you realize that or not. He raised you up to be with Him in heavenly places, whether you realize that or not. And he did it all that he might reveal his grace in you and get all the credit. Let me leave you with one last thought this morning. I know that some of you are thinking, well, this all sounds fine, but what about our good works then? He does answer that question, by the way. Verse 10, we could, we could spend the entire day on this verse, but we, I'll just read it together. He says, for we, what about our works? We are his workmanship. Ultimately, all our good works are his. And the ones that are not his, the Bible says, are just filthy rags, and you don't want any part of them to begin with. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what purpose? For good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The picture of this is this, that your good works before God are not the root of your salvation, not the source of your salvation, not the reason for your salvation, that your good works in Christ are the fruit of your salvation. You know the difference, right? Those of you that grow trees, you know, you know the difference. The root is the source of that life, and the fruit is what comes forth as a result of the root. And we have two problems in our churches today. We have one problem that we don't have the right root. We've been talking about that this morning. The right root is that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Nothing else added to it. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But then we have the other side. We have this so-called faith that produces no fruit. I prayed this prayer. I got dunked in this baptistry. Maybe even I still attend this church, but the life of Christ is not present in me because the fruit's not there. You see, works, these good works that the Apostle Paul is speaking of, they won't get you saved, but they will certainly show that you are. Just like when you look at an apple tree and you go, yep, that's an apple tree. You look at an orange tree and you go, yep, that's an orange tree. You know it by, by what? You know it by its fruit. But without the root, that tree is dead. Final verse this morning, Romans 10. Again, familiar, if we... If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you look right in the face of that verse and you ask, well, what's my part? Believe. What's my part? Confess. You know, I don't have to like do anything. Where's my top 10 lists of things I got to do in order to earn my salvation. Nope. He did it all. He went to the cross to purchase your salvation as a gift and the more you try to work to earn it, the greater the chances are that you will diminish that gospel to the point where you can't receive it anymore. So I want to leave you with two things. Ways of how, what do I do with all this thing? Okay, what do I do with all you've been talking about this morning? First of all, believers, I want to encourage you in this learn to share your testimony and learn to do it on these terms. Let's stop talking about baptisms and sinners' prayers and Sunday school attendance and all those works as if they were the source of our salvation. And I know that most of us don't believe that, but we talk that way. Somebody asks us about our faith in Christ and we jump right to a baptism. What would it be like if we started sharing our faith this way? You know what? I was dead in my sin. I was dead. Hopeless, without God, without hope in the world. And then we got to talk about that but God moment. You see, that's when God gets the glory. No pastor gets it at that point. You don't get it at that point. Only God gets it at that point.
And so I want to encourage you to start sharing your story of your faith walk with Christ in these terms. And we're going to give you a tool to be able to do that. As you leave out today, there's some cards that look just like this. And it is a postcard. What I want you to do is this. This has got these three statements. I was, but God, and I am. And I want you to take this this week. It's your homework. Somebody said, this is homework, right? Yep, this is homework. We're back in school now, so this is your homework. Everyone in the room, I want you to take one of these. There's going to be two of our deacons sent at the door as you leave out today. I want you to grab one of these cards, and I want you to go home. And over the next 48 hours, I want to ask you to wrestle with this. Go to this scripture and see yourself in the story. And I want to encourage you to write it down. Some of you have never written your testimony down before. And this card, I know, is probably not enough room for most of you, but it'll be a place to start. And then on the back, there's a place you can throw a stamp on this thing, and you can drop it in the mailbox. And we're going to make use of these next Sunday morning. We want to put on display to the glory of God the testimonies of God's people right here in this place. We don't do that enough. And so we want to ask you, take some time with this. Even if you don't send it back to us, if you want to send it by email, you can do that as well. There's an address on here for that. But even if you don't send it back, learn to share your testimony in biblical terms. Not that baptisms and church attendance and all those things are completely unimportant. That's the outworking of God's salvation in you. But let's start talking more about those roots. What really happened when you came to Christ. And some of you in this room... You can't take one of those cards today and really make use of it because you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're trusting in any number of things. Perhaps it is your good works, your ability to be able to to somehow earn the favor of God when he at the same time is offering it to you so freely. Or maybe you're on the other side of the coin and you feel like you're beyond saving. See, the reality of that whole deal of being dead in our sin, which every one of us was, is one dead man can't do any more than any other or any less. this morning rather than looking at yourself and thinking that you might be beyond the grace of God know this apart from Jesus Christ every one of us was beyond the grace of God but God stepped in and did what only he could do and he invites you this morning he asks you this morning will you trust him take him at his word And watch him do in your life things that you could never have asked for or imagined. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this is your word. And it tells us clearly who we are apart from Christ dead in our sins, dominated by these three great enemies and destined for destruction and eternal separation from you. But God, when you stepped in, 
And you sent your son into the world to die in the place of sinners. You purchased for us a gift that we could never have possibly earned. And Lord, I believe this morning that there are some in this place that need to throw away the life ring and take hold of the source of true life. To get rid of their faith in their own works and start trusting in the one who worked on their behalf. Lord, would you remind us this morning that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone and in Christ alone. It is all your work. So that you get all the credit, all the glory goes to you. And then you open up in our lives the fruit of that salvation so that we might take this gospel to a lost and dying world. So Lord, we pray that you help us to respond this morning. For those who've not trusted Christ, Lord, I pray you give them the courage to step out from where they are, to trust you by faith, to take you at your word, to hear those words, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Your promise made to us. Help us to respond this morning by faith, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing this song together, some of these white cards are on the chairs on either side. If you want to come and grab one and just pray over that testimony card as you prepare to do that work this week. If you're here and you need to respond to the gospel this morning, to take the Lord at his word, to receive him by grace through faith, to trust Jesus Christ today. We invite you to step out from where you are and come down. Kent and I will be here at the front to receive you. There is nothing extra holy about us. We are sinners just like every one of you in this room, but we would love to be able to share this gospel with you and how you can know that you know that you know that you're his. Let's stand and sing together.